Thanks, you guys. Great job. Love that last song. Don't you love that song? No longer a slave. Paul says we're no longer slaves to sin uh, because now we're children of God. And uh, that actually, that song just so segues into what one of the things I want to address this morning out of our study in Nehemiah. Um, we're going to be reminded that people sin, all right? So hate to break the news to you. Uh, people sin. And sometimes people in this room, people on your row, yeah, you know where I'm going, sure. We, uh, man, we dropped the ball. We, we sin. Here's the thing I want you to know, and I'll, hopefully I'll say it a couple times. Because, and I read this this morning, if, uh, a devotional I'm reading by, by Paul Tripp, um, Because my righteousness is in Christ, matter of fact, say that with me. Because my righteousness is in Christ, one more time. When I sin, and I will, I don't have to run from God. I get to run to Him. Isn't that wild? So I hope that made sense to you. Because here's the problem. We, you know, we live our life, we live our faith, and we have good days, bad days, we sin, we get off track, we get distracted, and then we feel horrible, we feel miserable, we feel like, well, I got to do something to make up for it. And no, no, you don't do something to make up for it. The sin has been paid for. Uh, The blood on the cross covered all your sin, not just the sin before you got saved, but the sin yesterday and today, and actually tomorrow's mess-ups. He paid for that. So the beauty of that is, as a follower of Christ, my, my, my whole identity, everything I am, I run to him, not from him. Nehemiah is where we're going to be. We're talking about God's glory and grace out of Nehemiah chapter 9 and 10. Nehemiah 9 and 10. We're not going to do like verse for, by verse of all this, you're glad to know. Um, by the way, it's really rough on a pastor when they say we're having lunch afterwards because that just kind of tells me, Great, you guys are covered for that, so we'll eat at three and just sit tight. But I'm not that way. I'm not, I'm not like that way. Actually, I'm, I get hungry at the same time you do. Uh, so, so when we think about the glory and the grace of God, something we talk a lot about here, without apology, we're thinking about his goodness, the fact that this is a good God who knows us, who loves us, who's changed us and is changing us. And here's the mission. There's a whole lot of people around us that haven't been changed yet. There's a whole bunch of people that need that same change that you and I have experienced. And you might be with us here in this room. You might be watching online. And like I I, I sometimes describe it as the the one who's looking over the fence, you know, looking over the neighbor's fence, and you're saying, what's going on over there in church world? Well, what are you guys, what are you Jesus people about? And so we that have been changed and transformed by Christ, we study scriptures, including the Old Testament books like this, and it helps us understand who we are in Christ, and this mission that he's put us on. So we have the, uh, the exiles have returned. They've come back to Judah. They were in Babylon captivity for 70 years. It took over about 100 years for things to get settled in. And then uh, Nehemiah leads this last wave of people to finish rebuilding the wall. There you go. And so they've built the wall. So Jerusalem is set 
things are in place. They, they're where they belong. Uh, they've reestablished worship. They've reestablished the, the exercises within the, within the temple of offerings and sacrifices to God. Uh, last week we saw they re, reestablished remembering uh, some of the feasts, specifically the Feast of Tabernacles, where they came and remembered God's faithfulness from previous generations in the Exodus. So that's where they're at. And if you remember last week, we finished with, we have Ezra who stands and reads the Bible, reads the word for them because A, they don't have it. No one has a copy of the Bible in their lap or on their phone uh, when the exiles come back. They don't, they don't have it. Um, and if they did, most of them wouldn't be able to read it. And so now we have this really sacred moment when Ezra stands to read. Remember, there's a platform he built for the occasion. And all the people, which would be hundreds and hundreds of people, stood as he read it for, remember, hours. Like not just a 30-minute sermon so we can go eat kind of thing, but this is like hours of hearing someone read the Bible. And if you're one that reads the Bible through, which is a great idea, sometimes it's those books like, I don't know, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, where we get tripped up. It's like, oh man, what am I doing here? That's what they were reading. He was reading the law, and they stood, and they stood with humility. They stood with excitement because we get to hear the words that our God has for us. So when I brought that up the last couple of weeks, that's not to bring shame on us that actually we don't do it quite the same. We kind of maybe are a little bit more relaxed about it. That's not to be shameful. It's to be reminded that this is pretty powerful that you have in your lap right now, you have at your fingertips right now, the Word of God. And this is pretty cool. And so they've just finished that. And as they remember the celebrations and the feasts and the people are regathering, we have a response to the Word. And that's where we are in chapters 9 and 10. Specifically, great conviction fell on the people because of what they were hearing. Great conviction. Not like, wow, this is great. I feel pretty confident in how we're, how we're doing this. They're hearing God's word and they're feeling not, I don't, I don't want to say they're feeling small and inadequate, but they're acknowledging, yeah, this has been a rough go, hadn't it? It's pretty rough that we had to be punished for 70 years and set into another nation. It's been pretty rough that our prophets and, and the priests and the people ahead of us, many of them cried out for God and yet didn't walk faithfully when it's all said and done. So there's a tough situation of conviction that they were responding to. What I want to do today, in a little bit different format, we're going to touch on 9 for just a second. I want to show you what's going on in 10, and then the bulk will be back in 9, because the 9 tells us the why of 10. You don't ever have to remember that statement again, but that's why we're doing it the way we are. So first of all, we're going to see this covenant. They're going to make a covenant in chapter 10. Basically, we're back, but something's not quite right. We're all back. The wall's been built. The temple's built. We've got the altar. Things are moving. This is good. It's good to be home. It's good to be back where I belong, but something's not quite right. In other words, they've heard about their history. When you read, guess what happens when you read Exodus, everybody? You realize why they had an Exodus. You realize, oh wow, we were, you know, we, we'd wandered for 40 years and the, the, the spies weren't trusting God. And so we, they hear all of that and they're responding like, we kind of just did something like that. We were just put in time out for 70 years. So there's this conviction that falls upon them. So they want to make a covenant in Nehemiah 9.38. So end of 9, 
look at 10 and then spend our time back at 9. 9.38. Because of all this, all this speaks to chapter 9 that we're going to spend most of our time with in just a little bit. Because of all of this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, our priests. And then it goes on in chapter 10. On the seals are the names of, and then you start having a whole list of people, starting with Nehemiah, the governor, the guy whose book we're reading right now. Uh, and then it talks about all these guys through verse 27. These people all signed this covenant, a sealed covenant, that basically is making a promise to God, saying to God, uh, skip down to verse 28, Nehemiah 10, 28. So again, looking at 10, we'll get back to 9. Verse 28, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God. So in other words, there was something that happened here. It's like, okay, we're not just like worldly minded. We're kind of going to focus on who we are in God, who God is, what he's made of us, what he's done for us. We're going to line up with that because we haven't in our past. So they've lined up with the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse or, and an oath. A curse meaning there's, there's, there's ramifications. We really, really want to do this right, is what that means. And an oath too, what's it say? Walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our, uh, the Lord, our Lord, and His rules and His statutes. So the whole, the whole team, everybody's in on this. Uh, talk about all in. That's not original with us, right? So they're all in on this. We're all making this thing of, man, we're going to make this covenant with God. We are, we're not going to mess up like our fathers did. We're not going to be unfaithful to God. We're tired of being led astray. We don't want to be marked as people that were unfaithful to God. So we're going to make this covenant with God. So a covenant is made. And again, we're not going to go through this a lot in chapter 10, just to fly over a part of the covenant in verse 30. Uh, we're going to stay pure. Uh, we're going to stay pure, you know, uh, not marry people outside of God's chosen for us. That was the commitment they made in verse, uh, verse 30. Verse 31, we're going to remain as, as, as the Lord made us. God, we're committed to your plan. And by the way, these are very applicable for us today. Uh, God, you, you have a design for who I am, my role in my family, my role in this community, my role in our church. God, you've designed me. You made me. I'm going to commit to that, Lord. I want to trust you for how you've made me um, and be faithful to you. Even in, he says in 30, about business, how I do life. Uh, my faith in God isn't just a Sunday thing that I pay attention to, get excited about. It affects every moment of every day because of who God is and what he's done for me. Third part of the covenant would be verse 32 on, uh, we're going to give you honor. We're going to trust your plans. Uh, we want to be faithful to you, even when it comes to our, our, our financing, our supporting. He says, we're going we're to give to the tabernacle, to the temple, as you've commanded. We're going to give of our offerings from our animals and from our, our, our material. And this was like an all-in sense of, God, we're, we want to line up with you, Lord. We don't want to be unfaithful as our fathers were. Verse 39. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers, 
where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers, we will not neglect the house of our God. I, I love that. Uh, God, we're all in. We're, we're going to do this. We're, we're not going to neglect this anymore. Why was this important to them? Because they lived under the shame of their forefathers. We were taken out of our land as prisoners and literally slaves in Babylon. Um, we were taken away. So some of those people that are saying this right now weren't born in Judah. They were born over there. And now we're back, and this is home, and we're God's people, and he's given us a mark. He's given us an identity, uh, but we don't want to be unfaithful anymore. So this is, this is the, uh, the, the covenant that they make. This is the, the promise. This is the oath that they're going to take because they don't want to mess up uh, like others have. So as I mentioned, I want to spend the bulk of our study. Uh, I want us to back up to chapter 9 and re- remember in verse 38. In verse 38 of 9, he says, Because of all this... We make a firm covenant in writing. Um, Now we're going to talk about the confessions. A covenant was made because of the confessions. Now when you hear the word confess, you might think someone's guilty and they're about to fess up, right? I'm guilty, so here's what I did wrong. I'm a jerk. I sinned. I did this thing. That sounds like a confession, partially. Um, Really what's happening in a confession is they're acknowledging their brokenness, their I've blown it, in light of God's glory. That's a legit confession right there. You've heard the expression, the confessions of the church. When a church like ours, we have what we call a statement of faith, 10 or 12 statements that kind of identify our doctrine, who we are, what we believe. This would be our confession. So we would stand in front of others and say, you know, we believe in the Father. We believe in Jesus, his son, who was born of the Virgin Mary. We believe in the Holy Spirit who comes upon those who believe him. This would be a confession honoring the goodness, the greatness, the glory of God. But it also lets me realize, and I'm not that, right? That's what confession is. God is amazing. He's glorious. I've been a mess, and I know I can't do life without him. So that's the spirit of the confessions. In Nehemiah 9, let's go to the beginning now. On the 24th day of this month, verse 1, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and a sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites, that means they just put dirt on their heads, you know, kind of like, not like Ash Wednesday, but kind of. You know, it's like they're remembering something. it's It's a sign of humility. And the Israelites separated themselves from all the foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. Don't miss that. They separated themselves. They gathered together as one. We're God's people. He's put his mark on us. We have a mission here. And they confessed their sins. They didn't just like sit in a room and have someone confess their sin for them or that person. We, they all, there was a confession of the sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. So we saw that in chapter 8. So again, for hours. We're, we're, we're all in. God, you're, we're, we're your people. We're hearing you. And from your word, we're confessing our sin. And so the word is read for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. I can't even begin to describe what that might have looked like. That's one of those tapes we want to play when we get to heaven. Like, Lord, can you, can you pop in that, that thing about, about Nehemiah uh, 9 right there? What would that look like? Uh, they heard God's word. 
They stood, they listened to it, they confessed. And for a quarter of the day, as long as the preaching went on, they also sang songs and, and, and expressed their joy and, and talked about, oh Lord, we so need you. God, we can't do this alone. Please understand a huge, huge difference in this teaching. This is the Old Testament. There's no Jesus yet. They don't know the name of Jesus. Jesus hasn't died on the cross. Guess what else happens in the Old Testament? There's no Acts chapter 2 just yet. In other words, the Holy Spirit of God had not fallen on believers in, uh, 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 in coming in to each and every one of them. They didn't have that. They didn't all, as, as people of God, have the Spirit of the living God. We call it Christ in me. They didn't have that. So you're like, so how'd that work then? What was their deal? Their deal was obedience to what God had shown them so far. I explained this a little bit last week, I think. I think it was. About how people come to faith in Christ in the Old Testament. Because there is no Christ. They're looking forward without even realizing it. We're looking backward and we get to realize it. That's the difference. So here's these people of God. They don't have what we have. So when you sin... Which I hope you don't, but let's say this afternoon you just go off the rails and you say something stupid or you mess up. And it's like, oh man, I sinned. When you sin, as a follower of God, there's a, there's a conviction. That conviction is the Holy Spirit of God. Am I right? You ever had that? I hope so, yeah. So it's like, yeah, God. Not, not because I'm displeasing you and you hate me and I'm in time out, but it's like, man, God's in me, but yet I'm, I'm still, I struggle. I've got this stuff. Now, there's conviction of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have that same conviction. So that's why, as a group, it was very community-oriented. They hear it. They stand up. They respond. They sing. And they also confess their sin because in that moment, they're understanding and realizing things. By the way, this is a great... All of Nehemiah has been some great leadership stuff. Leaders lead in confession. What I mean by that is what we talked about, confession. Both acknowledging my need and my, my weakness and my sin, but also the glory of God. Leaders lead in that. Leaders of homes, leaders of ministries, leaders in your life that are godly, that God's put there. Uh, they're not the last to say, yeah, I guess we do have a problem we should talk about. They ought to be, they ought to be first. So they fasted, it said. Why is fasting important? We don't read a lot about it, but occasionally it pops up. So they separate themselves and in this time of fasting and sackcloth and putting dirt on their head, I think fasting demonstrates humility and need. Fasting isn't like, I can do it. I got amazing willpower. You should watch me sit with people while they eat food and I can fast. I'm so awesome. It's not the point of fasting, right? You're kind of blown it if that's your, if that's your approach. Fasting actually demonstrates humility. It demonstrates need. I need food. Can I hear an amen on that? Come on, somebody. Yeah, we need food, and we like it. We're looking forward to it here soon. We, need, we have needs. We're not self-sustaining. We can't do this by ourselves. So it demonstrates a need. God, I need this. But right now, I'm talking to you. I'm trusting you. Demonstrates humility and need. Dependency and confidence of faith. A dependency. God, I need you. what you provide for me. These meals, this food, this water, whatever you're fasting from, Lord, you provide that. It comes from you. And it gives us a confidence of faith in our provider and sustainer. Forgive me, Lord, for always assuming I got it covered. God, I need you. So fasting was important. We see it. Good lessons for us today. Uh, so confession. It wasn't simply, I did wrong, we're, we blew it, we're in trouble, but more, God, who you are in, in my need. 
my pain and his healing is confession. I talk about my pain and his healing. I talk about my limits compared to his limitlessness. I talk about my sorrow, yet his joy. My shallow to his deep. My inability to his ability. That's what a confession is. God, I'm waking up to the the bigness of you. My eyes are open to your greatness. And I see myself as loved by you, but I'm incomplete without you. So let's run through these. I say run. I'm going to read some verses for you. If you're following along, I hope you have your Bible with you in Nehemiah uh, chapter 9. I'm going to read some of these verses, and on the screen will be kind of a a highlight of it. In verse number 6, we see he's the creator. We see the creator in verse 6. These these are expressions of confession. This would be a, if we had like super long time and we were comfortable with that, we would all just like stand and say all these things. God, you're this. God, you're that. God, you did this. But let me read it for you and get the sense of what's going on in Nehemiah. Verse 6, you, you are the Lord. By the way, if you're reading or have something you can mark, notice how often this is you. The praise to God is you, God. It's not, hey, I just, want, I just want to tell you something about God. It's God, you. We're directly talking to him. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. God is a creator. He's a big creator, which starts with him. And because he was the creator, he was not created. Because he's a creator, he wasn't created. Which if he wasn't created, that means he has no need. He has no, there's nothing absent from God. There's nothing missing with God. He is the one who creates. Powerful, verse 6. Verse 7 and 8. He chose his people. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur and the Chaldeans. You're the one who gave him the name Abraham, which by the way is a covenant uh, uh, indicator. You found his heart faithful before you and made him the covenant uh, to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. Do you get what's going on here? This confession is like we're looking up to the sky saying, God, I just can't get over this. You did that. You created everything. You chose Abram, this guy that lived over here by himself with his big family, and you're the one that called him. You found him faithful. This is all praise to God, 7 and 8, verse 9 and 10. You've been faithful to the unfaithful. I'm not going to ask you to stand if you can relate to that, but I have a feeling most of us understand what this means. You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of this land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers and you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. Even in the affliction, the unfaithfulness of your people, you still made a name. When there's sin and affliction and disobedience, God does not go off the rails. God has not been absent in seasons of your life when you're like, what's going on? He's faithful. Even in the midst of the unfaithfulness, uh, I love that. And you made a name for yourself, continually drawn to the glory of God. Verse 11, you made a way. You're the one that divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land and you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. You're the one, Lord. What a beautiful thing. 
And can I remind you, a healthy, healthy exercise is for you individually, as a family, a couple, however, to look back. To look back and see the you. God, you did this. You brought my family through that hard time. You parted the waters when I had no idea where to go. God, you're the one that blessed and helped us in this moment. That's what's going on here, this confession. God, you've been faithful. You made a way. Uh, You led them in the desert, verse 12. By a pillar of cloud, you led them in the day. And by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. That was God. That wasn't some cool alignment of stars and things that, things that happen at night. This is God saying, hey, you guys, I've got you. So during the daytime, there's this cloud. I need you to follow that. That's me. I'm, I'm leading you. And by the way, when it gets dark, and can we just say there's a few metaphors right there maybe? <laughs> when life is dark and, and I don't know what's next and I don't understand why it's dark, uh, there's this pillar of fire you can trust. Follow the pillar. Go with the fire. So he's always been faithful. Whether they were faithful or not, he led them. He made a way. He led them in the desert. He leads them in the night. Is this cool to you guys, by the way? A different kind of flow, but you, get, you just see this sense of, they're just praising God for who he is. And I, as, a, as a pastor, I'm thinking, how can I outline this and give you guys? No, let's just read it. It's like, God, you've done this amazing stuff, and all we can do is think about it and talk about it and give you praise. You gave them a word. Verse 13. You came down to Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws. By the way, what is that, everybody? Ten Commandments, the tablets, right? You came down. You're the one that gave that to them. Good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses, your servant. So they're just crying out to God. And by the way, this is an individual, whether it's Nehemiah or one of the, the priests that's like leading, and the rest of the leaders that we saw in the earlier names, that, that list was standing there with them. It'd be like me standing here with a bunch of people behind me saying this to God, and on behalf of everyone, God, we're saying, you did all this. We remember what you did for our fathers. We remember how you brought the law down. God didn't have to do that. God didn't have to let us in on the law. He could have just held us accountable to it. But he gave it to us. He said, here's my way. Here's a way that finds favor in who I am. Verse 15, you provided. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger. You brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. You told them to go and to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. Don't lose that, you guys. This is their history. This is their story. And they're saying, there was a time, God, when the food that we're going to eat came from heaven. You guys catching that? And by the way, it probably was a lot like what we call Indian tacos, right? It's like that fry bread. Probably very manna-like. You think I'm kidding. So when you have lunch today, it's like, wow, this is from heaven. And it only cost me eight bucks. No, I'm just... (laughs) But it's like God provided. Like, we don't think of that. Who provides? Well, the truck driver that brought it from the whatever to Safeway. And then mom went and she's used the card. And so now we're going to have food. And I, yeah. No, God provided that. You, you gave us literal food from heaven. Like heaven. Like in the morning, you go out and there it is for the day. Water from a rock? Like you gave us literal water, something that we could drink out of a rock. Only God. 
So this idea that God provides, this is our worship to God, Grace Community. This is us looking to God in 2022 saying, God, you've provided for me. You're the one that gave me this person sitting right next to me. Everybody look at that person and smile. For better, for worse, right? So God gave us this. God blessed you with your friends and your family and the people near you. This is God's doing. Can you agree with me? This is his favor on us. That's their confession. Our lives ought to be a confession to the grace and the glory of God. Not that we walk around all pious and quoting old English verses and try to impress people, but that we have a life that says, man, God is so good. He's doing something, and he did something, which changes everything. Then you get to verse 16. All right, so God, you're amazing. You're awesome. Verse 16. Guess what happens? Interhumanness. We have failed you, God. We have dropped the ball. We have sinned. Verse number 16 of Nehemiah. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously, stiffened their neck, and did not obey your commandments. No one I've ever met enjoys talking about sin. Most everybody would like to dismiss the word and replace it with, oops, mistakes. Here's one. My bad, (laughs) right? It's like, yeah, okay, so I'm not perfect. No one wants to say, we are stiff-necked against a God who made us. He's God. He wasn't created. He's not dependent on anything. He's God, he's loving, he's gracious, and he's glorious, and he's provided and done all these things for us, but yet there's a stiff-neckedness, there's a rebelliousness, there's a presumption. We sin against God. By the way, man sins against God every time we sin. Yeah, maybe you offended somebody. Maybe you hurt someone and you sinned against somebody. David reminds us in Psalm 51, against you, you only have I sinned. So it's uncomfortable for a second, but sin is for real, guys. Sin is very for real. We don't hear it talked about. We're not going to promote it, but we have to acknowledge it. They failed the goodness and the glory of God. Let me ask you, did it change God? Not a bit. It didn't move the needle one little bit that God would love and give himself to this group of people and they in turn rebelled against him. He didn't say, oh man. He noticed, he saw, he sees the need, he sees the, the, the anxiousness they have for someone like him. He, they see, he sees the need they have. And so every time we sin, we sin against God. But I love verse 17. It's a long verse, but check out that last phrase They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. By the way, has that ever happened to us? Has it ever happened to us? Just not mindful of all that God's doing. It's going to be Tuesday afternoon at 2 o'clock. You're going to be in the middle of your day, maybe a meeting, maybe a phone call, maybe something needs attention, maybe there's all kinds of chaos. And we sometimes forget the wonders of God that you performed, that he's done for us. God's at work in the messiest moments, in the brokenness and in the sinfulness. God's with us. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return um, to their slavery in Egypt. But... 
You are a God. Is that on the screen? Kind of small to see, huh? If you can see it, say it with me. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. It didn't move the needle one bit. He's always been faithful. You are a God who is good and gracious, merciful, extending that to your people. It went so far in verse 18 as this group of people who, who he's radically infused himself into their identity, into their community. It went so far that they made it a false God. This is the most bizarre, one of the most bizarre stories um, verse 18, even when they made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and committed great blasphemies. You guys remember that story? So Moses is up there getting the Ten Commandments and Aaron, Aaron blows it big time. People are getting impatient. And so finally they say, well, where's Moses and where, what are we doing? Are we going to die out here? I thought God was doing something with us. And so finally they, I don't know who they was. Did it start with him? Did it start with some clown on the front row? I don't know. But they all come together and they start bringing their, their gold. And they make it into an image. They make this golden, let's just call it a cow, right? There's this golden calf. They make a cow and they say, that's our God. That's our God who got us out of Egypt. How many of you want to say knuckleheads are in the Bible, right? It's like, how did you get there? How did you go from Moses leading us, manna from heaven, water on the all these amazing things to, you know what, I, I've lost, I don't know, let's just, let's just make something up. And they do that. It seems to me like the most radical, bizarro thing that they so quickly turned so far away. Did it change God? Not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. Blessings and patience, mercy and grace. I love this. You, verse 19, in your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. How many of you, if you were God, this story would read differently? Raise your hand with confidence. If I was God, the story would be way different. I'll show you cows. You're all going to be cows in about five seconds, right? We would do something to say, what are you doing to me? It didn't, he didn't do that because he's God. In your great mercies, you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them did not depart from them by day. He didn't, he didn't mess around with them. He said, you know what? I'm tired of this golden calf nonsense, so make your own way. No more cloud, no more pillar. He didn't do that, it says. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. God is good, isn't he? Remember Lamentations 3, 22? 23, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies come, I'm sorry, his mercies never come, never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It's never over. You've been through a battle, some of you. You've been through a hard time. Maybe you're in the midst of a season when things aren't quite adding up and making sense. He's not left you. He's not forsaking you. He's not saying, you know, I'm going to remove my spirit. I'm going to remove that cloud. I'm going to remove that pillar of fire. No, he's faithful and he's there. His mercies are new every morning, just like the manna was new every morning. So are his mercies. Verse 25, and they captured fortified cities in a rich land and took possession of houses full of good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. 
So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your goodness. So they, they took all the blessings. God, you've been so good. We'll take it. We'll take it. Thank you. We'll take it. We take it. The mercies of the Lord are without limit. There's no end. It's not over. You're going to eat a good meal, and when it's over, it's like, oh, I hope I get another meal. There's people that really live that way, and they really have concern about, will the next meal show up? There's people in our world, there's people in our community that live like that. Will I get the next meal? Will I have another warm night? Christians, we're on the planet to make a difference. It starts with us acknowledging and realizing the mercies of God never changes. It's there. I can tap into that and I can live it out and begin to be generous and share it and make an impact on those around me. So in that spirit, they have a cry for mercy. We have a cry for mercy. I think this is like a model prayer in verse 32 of chapter 9. It's like they're saying, yes, I need help, but I'm coming back to you, not just because I need help, but I'm coming back to you because of who you are. That's the confession part. Now, therefore, our God, verse 32, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, our kings, princes, priests, prophets, fathers, and all the people, since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. So here's what's happening. They're back. The wall's built. Their identity is intact. They feel safe. Things are as it should be, but something's missing. And what's missing is that confidence that we're not going to just keep repeating history. And so now they're saying, Lord, you did this. You did this. You were faithful. You blessed us. You're continuing to bless us. We know it. We've taken it in. Our houses are, are warmed and filled. Our tables are full because of your goodness. But God, we're crying for mercy. We're asking right now what we're living in this moment. Let that not be little in your ears. Today, in this moment, you don't know what the person three rows back and to the left is going through. You're not sure of what people around you might be experiencing or what you, the darkness you may be feeling at moments. And all we can say is, God, you've been so good. My confession is you're a great and gracious, glorious God. Let not my prayer get lost. Let not my hurt not be heard right now. That's, that's the goodness of God. He knows you. And he, he loves it when we come to him. Absolutely. He longs for, for us to, to come up to him and be that, that Abba Father that he is to us. What about our confession? He says, that there, he says in verse 33, you are just and you're faithful. So what's our confession? What's your confession as, a, as an individual, as a family? What, what is your statement of faith about the goodness of God? He is faithful. He's blessed us. He's done so much. We are rich because of him. Even if we're going through a hard time, and even if things aren't adding up, he's just, and he's faithful. And I can trust that about him. Acts 17, if, if you're taking notes, you can write that down. The notes are online if you need that. Verse 24 of Acts 17. Listen as I read it for you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. That's the richness of our glorious God. He has no need. 
He gives. That's who he is. He loves. He gives. It's all from him towards us. I believe our church, the church around the world, today needs to return to a place where we focus on the glory and the goodness of God that we, we, we proclaim this confession, our confession today, thinking of who God is. Can I encourage you to share, share of his faithfulness in your life? Talk to somebody this week about how good he's been, something he got you through, whether it was last week or five years ago, that hard thing you went through. Look for opportunity to kind of encourage someone else. Not, you're not bragging on yourself. You're bragging on God. Man, you wouldn't believe what the Lord did, how he answered a prayer for me. Talk about his faithfulness. Talk about the, what it's like to be loved by God and how it's changed you. What he did for us ultimately came to a cross. And they're looking forward, we're looking backwards. We look back and we see that cross and we see that God himself, Jesus, the Son of God, went to that cross because of his unfailing love for me, for you, and of everybody you know. My theology says there's not a person on the planet that God wouldn't want to have into the kingdom. There's a lot they are going to refuse it. But our mission is to say, man, there's so many people that need what, this, what he's done for me, he's done for them. How can I help them? How can I demonstrate it? How can I show them the goodness of who God is? As I talk about it, as I live it, God has been good. I love this. Romans 5.8, God shows, he demonstrates his love for us, that when we were yet what? Sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't say to the nation, if you guys will just do this right for a long time, then I'll bless this thing. You're going to mess up. You're going to mess up. You're going to mess up. As people, we sin. We need the righteousness of Christ. He demonstrated that on the cross. He offers it to us. If we confess with our mouth that he is Lord in Romans 10 and believe that he is God, that God raised him from the dead, we can know him. We can be in a relationship with him. We can be made right with him in a way I think beyond even what the nation of Israel got to experience. And the result is in Micah 6, 8. What is good and what does the Lord require of you? To do. Because of what he's done, because of who he is, to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with our God. Lord, Lord, we want to praise you. You're a good God. We can't get over that. That's what the, the confession of the church is to express that. The songs we sing that, that Travis leads us through, these are all very intentional. God, you are so good. You've done this great thing. I'm no longer that slave to that. I'm now your child. So when I sin, I don't run from you. I run to you. When I'm struggling, I don't have to feel shame and I'm not performing. That's not it. God, I'm your child. Doesn't mean I'm mature all the time. Doesn't mean I always get things right, but I'm yours. So our confession today, what do we learn from Nehemiah? Yeah, we can sin, and we do, but I'm no longer a slave to it. It's not who I am. Who I am is Christ in me. It's a new thing. I, I have the spirit of the living God with me to guide me, to help me. I can rely on that. And by the way, another important lesson, we don't have to replicate their circumstances to learn their lesson. There's, there's a couple advantages to being the eighth of ten kids, and one of them's that. I don't have to make all the mistakes the older siblings made, right? Any of you young ones know what I'm talking about? You got older siblings, they're a mess, right? No, I'm just teasing. 
No, we think they're a mess. No, it's like I don't have to do that sin. I learned, I watched, and I don't want to do that. We don't have to be as they were to learn what they learned. We can know the grace of God because of what Christ has done for us. So our lessons, the Lord is good. Please, please acknowledge that. Look for it in your life. Look for ways to talk about it. The Lord is glorified. It's all his work. What he's doing in your life, your friend's life, our church, our community, God's up to something. This isn't man-made. This is God doing something. He is to be glorified. It's his work. And then the Lord is gracious. Not one of us deserves the kindness of God on our lives, but we take it. We're so blessed because his steadfast love never stops. Let me pray for us. God, we, uh, we come to these passages, and Lord, it's a lot going on in these two chapters, and our quick overview just simply reminds us of how you've been active for a long time. Whether it's back, back in the days of um, the exiled people returning, or it's the time of, of 2022 and Grace Community Church and other churches like ours are regathering and people are reengaging and we're feeling like, okay, Lord, we're here. We want to trust you for where you're leading us. Uh, God, we just want to be, we just want to, we just want to honor your name. We just want to glorify you. And not, not because we find better luck or good favor, but luck, Lord, you've, you've been so good to us. You are so good. And so we just want to reflect that with our, with our words of praise, our choices that we make this week, the way we look to demonstrate that in kindness and justice to those around us. So, Father, bless your church. Thank you that we get to have a meal here in a little bit. Thank you for the joy and the privilege it is to be your people worshiping your name even now. In Jesus' name, amen.